Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of nature-led gardening and a person that thinks our economic system needs an update. We need a new economic story, and I have no idea what that's going to look like, but what I do know is that there are there's just a ton of dysfunction in our food system. More than 50 billion tons of topsoil has been eroded from the Midwest, and that, that estimate loss is nearly double the rate of erosion that the USDA considers sustainable. And that fact is from um, Smithsonian Magazine in 2022. But almost all of the way that the food is being produced in the United States is produced in a way that depletes soil. Dominant agriculture also pollutes water, results in climate change, injustice, and depletes nutritional quality of our food. There are many, 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 many reasons for all the dysfunction in our food system, resources, power, history, habits, our stories. Can we choose a new food story? Um, In the words of Scott um, Mamaday, who died on January 24th, 2024, can we choose a food system which keeps the earth? On today's show, we're pleased to have in studio two people who have been making growing real food in Minneapolis as earth creatures, um, as earth keepers and earth creatures, I suppose, uh, the Black Rajas. So welcome to Food Freedom Radio, Carrie Thompson and Jay, Jay Thompson. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So you guys are doing something really cool and innovating. So innovative. Tell me what you're doing. Well, I don't know that it's super innovative. I mean, people have, have, have approached it like this before, but we run a an urban farm, but we we run it out of. Oops, that was loud. Sorry. <laughs> um, we run it out of twelve uh, yards that are in our in our local neighborhood. Um, so there's twelve city front yards. Yeah. So instead of having like an like a plot or something, we have neighbors that give yeah. us their land. Yeah. So they be in the, in exchange, we give them a CSA share. Uh, so we run a forty five person CSA out of these 12 yards um we're constantly growing and adding more yards but it is it's not like a it's not like a you know a giant field of single crop growth it's essentially gardening on like a larger scale really um yeah so you're gardening from other people's lands and then yeah. um, selling the products that you grow on that land yeah in a csa yeah so people will approach us and want their yard converted and we convert their lawn their ornamental lawn into uh, garden beds and or the entire thing into like farmable uh, land. Yeah, we have some raised beds and then we have some that are like the whole front yard, kind of like a the whole yeah. yard is turned yeah, yeah. into farming. Um, yeah. I, I think you're spot on and that that, it, that is not innovative, but because it's kind of like what people did, you know, yeah, for riding sure. bikes for thousands of years. That that's you know, or yeah, yeah, for a long, long time. But, um, uh, but to actually make a business out of out of this and this economic structure is, I think, just awesome. I I love it, and I want to know more about um your personal background and how did this start? How did this? So we are both artists. Um, I'm a photographer. Jade does drawing and installation. Did I guess We're, he does? <laughs> we don't. Uh, we both are still artists, even if he says not. Um, <laughs> and we we come from the fine art world, so photos on walls, gallery shows, like just a different world. Um, In a way, this is a large scale art project that we're trying to see if it can work or or not. Um, but yeah, I mean we. It could be thought of as like a large scale art project, like a community sort of driven art 
piece. I mean, it's really, yeah. it's pretty, it's pretty. We we take a lot of, so we do a lot of. We run a CSA, but there's also a lot of aesthetics that are put into it. That you know, we want things to be beautiful. We want things to be nice, and we want our clients and customers to come in and, and feel at home. And you know, a lot of like aesthetic choices are made in those in that, um, as well as sort of garden design and. Mm-hmm. Uh, planning and, all and it's that. not just rows and rows of food like i love flowers so right. flowers are mixed in we love interplanting plants and crops that work together um so every yard is is you know made to look really beautiful not just like a you know just rows of crops I mean, that, if that's what you're picturing but so the flowers and things are planted in certain areas and intercropped and it's yeah it's, it's and there's certain herbs that go well with different um, produce, so you can produce like tomatoes and basil's, like the one that people know the most. Um, but having them together instead of just rows of tomatoes, and having the basil mixed in, it gives it a different aesthetic. Um, and then other flowers and such. We get wild with the trellises. We get wild with trellises, yeah. <laughs> um, and there's eight yards on one block, mm. so there's many. There's twelve yards, so there are other places, but. The one block is, like, intense. Like, you walk down the street and you're like, these people like gardening. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really just us. Um, so what block is that? Because that's public and... we uh, It's 24th Avenue and 38th Street, 39th Street. So between, yeah, between 30th and 39th? Yeah. It's the Standish neighborhood of Minneapolis, South Minneapolis. Yeah. Um, mm. But how we started was, because you asked that oh, question. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Kind of no, like, no, we're... Um, is one year I decided to leave my art job and just try to be a farmer for some silly reason. So we converted the whole front yard, our front yard. Ton, I don't know how many beds we have in our front yard. Well, I mean, in the beginning, it was just an experiment. We, yeah. we sort of, we got tired of... We sort of saw the ridiculousness of having to mow and, and maintain a grass yard. So we just converted everything. Why can't we just grow food out of the space? So we started growing food in, in our front yard. We converted it all to, to boxes, to garden boxes, um, and started planting and slowly became better and better at growing you know, high-yielding stuff out of small spaces. And we started as almost as a joke, a little CSA, which sort of – I don't know, eight mostly. to ten people yeah. the first year, mostly friends and you know, real direct neighbors. Um, and from there, we sort of grew. People saw what we did to our yard, and neighbors said, "Hey, can you do that to our, my yard?" And we said, "Okay, can we keep the produce?" And in exchange, we'll give you a share of produce. Um, and that sort of is just sort of snowballed from there. It, it's sort of we still have a waiting list of people in the neighborhood that want their yards converted. Um, we just, we, you know, it's only two of us. We can't. We can only do so much, and we're sort of learning what that is, what that precipice is that we can handle. Yeah. So that's interesting. So um, I mean, when we talked earlier, you'd love to see this model spread. Yeah, we don't know necessarily what what that looks like. Does it? Is it a model? I mean. You take a sort of broader zoom out of it a little bit and look at it from a city planning perspective. You can sort of see how it would work. You could have one of these farms, you know, two people in a neighborhood that are maintaining, you know, a three-block radius. And then everybody in that community could then have that food, uh, you know, access to that food. Um, 
we that's from a very zoomed out sort of general you know theoretical perspective but that's like the dreamer portion right. of our lives um because then how do we do that how do we get those two people every three blocks and right. um so we're working with some people right now to figure out ways to make our business more sustainable financially sustainable um, and what direction really we what, should go? Yeah, what's the best direction? Should we be a non-profit? Should we be – you know, like there's all these choices that we can make. Um, we're starting to sell to restaurants. Do we do more of that? Um, we're, we have a donation uh, program. Do we do more of that and then raise money for that? Like there's all these different options. Um, yeah. it's, we're just not sure the path to go. So we're working with Carlson School of Management um, – and they have a group of students working with us to try to figure out if there's a way to make it a model that can be, you know, everywhere, city planning kind of thing, a model that we can just grow from or yeah. – I mean at this point we need to grow – you know, we need to grow to make it work. Um, but how do you grow? How do you – we need employees. We, how do you afford all of these things? Um, Right now what we have is – I mean we've been doing it as full-time – you know, I guess we work odd jobs here and there uh, for about three years now or since the – maybe since the pandemic. It's been five. But it's been like a – it's it's not – it wouldn't be – I don't think you would consider it financially sustainable. Um, feel Share what you feel comfortable sharing about the finances because I think it's – I mean it's – it's all pretty out in the open. Like you can do the math just seeing, you know, if we have 45 members and 12 of those are land shares and then you can – I don't know how much we make. But we need other income essentially to come from that and we need – or to expand to where we can take on more clientele. Um, but right now we're at kind of this spot where what we feel like we can maintain as two people and maybe a volunteer or two as far as the properties are concerned. Um, because we all also maintain it. You know what I mean? We have to be there every day. We have to water. We have to weed. We have to, you know, just make sure plant things are going well, add inputs to the soil. Um, yeah, and we have to do succession planting. So we have to, you know, once a crop's out, we have to put another one in. Um, I mean, so it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, it's in pretty intense during the growing season. And then... Right now we're in the planning season, which is also intense because we get nervous. But it's not intense <laughs> for other reasons. But but the, yeah, so this year we're we're trying to do things different. We're t- sort of trying to take on a little bit more of that sort of Curtis Stone model, where we're going to sort of try quick turnover beds and like in restaurant sales, which is going to be a new hustle for us. Um, and how that works and what that looks like, we don't entirely know yet. Um, but the CSA alone is sort of the – that's the sort of workhorse, right? That's the financial work. That's making us the constant money throughout the year. Um, and then if we can also make money on top of that, we would actually be able to afford underwear and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Got to afford the underwear. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, not, it's kind of fun. I was like, oh, I really want some new underwear, but can't really quite afford it. But we are talking with uh, Carrie Thompson and uh, Jay Thompson, Townsend um, with a Black Radish. And what they do is they, uh, they have converted uh, neighbors' yards – uh, that we're in grass to growing food and doing CSAs in the neighborhood, 
What if we could grow our food in our neighborhoods and find an economic structure that makes it all work, where we can all, uh, you know, I just, I, I just love this story. We're, we're learning about the black radish. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. This is Food Freedom Radio, and I'm Laura Hedlund. It's plain to see the Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and we're talking to urban farmers, Carrie Thompson and Jay Thompson. Thompson. So now, so you guys, again, explain the concept and what you're doing in Minneapolis right now. And, um, and so, because it's such an interesting concept. We run a 45-person CSA, which CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. It's just sort of a, a catch-all for, essentially, we... You pay up front for a season's worth of vegetables and, and produce and receive that. Um, we do it out of people's yards in South Minneapolis um, and and we use that land in exchange for a CSA share. So the homeowners get produce in exchange for us letting us use their land and farm on it essentially. And that's one of the big problems with getting young people in the farm is farmland access. And and right now you have a waiting list of people who want you to use their their yards. You yeah, have a waiting list for that. For sure. And and, and you know we haven't. It's new enough for us too. We have, there, I'm, I'm sure there's there's room for complications that we haven't really accounted for. Like people can move, you know, and then you lose that property until you can have a discussion with the next homeowner. Um, but yeah, it's sort of there are certain. But things as of we now, we've. Yeah. Had no issues like that, and it's yeah. just they people give us their yards, and uh, we give them produce, and everything else we sell for to a CSA. And this year, restaurants. And and do you um are you can people sign up for your CSAs? Yeah, they can. Yeah, they can. And so tell us a bit a little bit about how your CSA works financially and hours and what people get and that type of thing. Right. So our CSA is fourteen to sixteen weeks. Um, of produce, depending on weather and situations. Um, and we have a sliding scale. You can pay as low as 400 and as high as 1000 The $1,000 one is actually um, uh, you're gifting a CSA to someone who needs food. So you're not getting the CSA. So you can pay depending on what you want. So anybody in the whole world could get a CSA for someone in Minneapolis if they wanted um, and then we have something a little different. We have a, like a cedar house in the back of our, our, uh, farm and the cedar house is set up kind of like a grocery store. So you walk in, you have a bag that says the black radish and you fill it with produce, but you only take what you want and what you need. Oh, that is different for the CSAs. Yeah. So okay. instead of getting a box of a certain amount of everything. Mm-hmm. Some people take a little. Some people take a lot. It's never been a problem. I mean, once in a while, I'm like, ooh, we're kind of going low on a few things. But it's never been like a serious, serious problem. Um, it sort of balances out. Yeah. It's, it's been str- – it's, it's interesting. So and like, people will take really what, what they need for the week, not – you know what I mean? You, you don't – And that what they actually cook. So like when we grew turnips, which we were so excited about, no one took them. Oh, oh I would – let me know if you ever I know. That's what I'm I saying. love turnips. Roasted turnips, right? I know. But people it's, – it's weird for some people. Yeah. So I mean that's the thing about the CSA and why we're also kind of going towards restaurants too because some of the produce is amazing. But the CSA people don't really understand it. 
Not in a mm-hmm. bad way. I love you all, CSA people. Well, it is. I mean, and I've had that happen, too. You get all these vegetables, and then your life is going busy. One of the little things I'm doing right now is I'm keeping out my cookie sheet with the um, uh, uh, the parchment paper on it mm. for breakfast. Just mm-hmm. cut my potato up, put some seasoning on there, put another thing in there, put it in the oven, go get ready, come out, and there, voila, is food for the day. It mm-hmm. was like, that was easy. I and mean, you could do that with turnips. Mm-hmm. But if you're not used to it and you don't yeah. know, you don't you haven't found your groove with that vegetable yet, mm-hmm. then it seems kind of intimidating. We give out recipes too, um, you know, in the email every week that, you know, are, are for certain vegetables that we think people might find problematic. Yeah, the, Jeb- the Japanese turnip that we grew, the salad turnip is, is inc- was incredible because it you can turn the whole plant into, into a meal essentially. You cut off the greens – Cut up the turnip itself, sear that. The greens can become the salad greens, chopped up, a little oil and, you know, some garlic and that super was it. Good. Salt and it was super good. Yeah, it was very yeah, simple. Yeah, it's kind of like a hot dressing on the top. Like that's whatever you sauteed the – usually sesame oil or, or something like that. Whatever yeah, yeah. you sauteed that and that goes good. on top. Now, we're hitting on something of the heart, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to express this, but, you know, there, is, there are so many stories about how economy works that is actually fundamentally wrong. Uh, you know, Shark Tank, you get this, and then they do this, or you get them before you get this. You know, that type of narratives are running in our society. And I do love Shark Tank. But- do you? I mean, sometimes <laughs> I do, too. I mean, it's all, it's all – I don't want to say anything negative about Shark Tank, but you know what I mean? Whereas reality, I mean, here you've got – you take whatever food you want, and the fear would be that one person would come and grab every last tomato and mm-hmm. would just seize everything, and then the person comes last, and you kind of have that fear-based economic yes. system. But you guys seem like you're on the verge of um, abundant and living in love-based community economics. Maybe some of that has to do with scale. Like the larger you get, the more of that sort of behavior you're going to have. But I think when it's a smaller scale and everybody sort of knows each other or wants to know each other and they're respect – they're in somebody's yard, you know, and they're doing this thing that means something. They're paying a certain amount amount of money because they believe in a different way of growing food. Um, and buying their food, like, I, I think people are respectful of, of – and also it's the reality of – and that's sort of how we present it. It's like do you really want that many green beans to have to throw out? <laughs> I mean it's, it's sort of pointless to take that many if you're really not going to use them. Yeah. So I mean – I've been surprised by people. They'll, they'll like ask me like, OK, I took two tomatoes. Is that OK? And I'm like, take three. You know, <laughs> like they just get nervous that other people won't get it. Which is, I think, very kind and sweet because um, it – yeah, I, I did think like we're going to have those people that come in and they're like, oh, I'm going to make sauce this week. Like, you know, like but th- we really haven't. And any extra we have, if someone asks, we just – we'll give them the extra later. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if they need it, they'll say something. They'll say like, well, I'm having dinner for 12 people. I need this much this week and then we make sure that that's available for them. And then we always every week have leftovers, so we you know we end up then donating that back into the neighborhood, and then potentially this year too we'll use a, a more of a food shelf program out of Corcoran Park, I think. Yeah, we're working on a um, a, a bigger donation. Um, service is the wrong word, but a, a better way to program. get the food to into people's hands that actually need the food. Because like my dream would be just to give this all away. I would love to just give all the food away. And we know we can't do that because well, we're, we're we're already like. And this, you know, people a lot of a lot of people don't necessarily know what to do with fresh produce, um, which is a sad thing. But yeah, it's not not 
the top commodity, you know. <laughs> right. But there are places like – I don't know the name of it. Uh, there's places that take the produce from different farms and cook, the, cook them and then mm. they have meals with it. Yeah, yeah. So like that is an easier, more accessible thing for people if they don't cook vegetables. They can eat them. Well, and I mean we talk about larger solutions. I mean most people are spending – more dollars are now spent in restaurants and you know eating out. And, and it is hard if you don't know – if you're not used to it and it, 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 it can seem you know quite – quite this. And I even had someone say to me that, you know, media-wise, food and cooking, there's been a lot of attention brought to the, here's the two-hour meal you make, and this is what cooking is. And there's not enough uh, attention brought to, okay, you can just cut the potatoes, spray the little sauce, spray the little thing on, put it in the oven, and then pop it out and eat it in five minutes. The so, simple yeah. everyday cooking. Is, I mean, you know, we know that very well. We have two kids and like, it's that's been one of the biggest like, sort of – It's like the marriage breaker. It's like – Making dinner is so hard. Dinner happens every <laughs> night. It always happens. <laughs> it keeps happening. Forever. <laughs> dinner I like, happens. I like feel a sense of relief if I know what we're going to have for dinner. I'm like, oh. OK. Yeah. But it's – I mean it's, it's, it is. Cooking is hard. Cooking is – it's going to be complicated and making it simple and, and – Easy for like a real day to day life is is something that probably yeah you're right should be paid more attention to. Try to figure it out. So uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, you're listening to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Headland. We're talking with urban farmers Carrie Thompson and Jay Tom- Townsend. Uh, we'll be right back, and we're going to talk more about how you can grow food and um, their vision of um, their vision of uh, why they do what they do. I'm floating in the Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and we're talking with urban farmers Carrie Thompson and Jay Townsend. Um, and so you guys have the Black Radish CSA, and we're talking about that. How does that work? People get food once a week, or how does if you're a CSA member? Yeah, so during the season, we yeah, it's once a week every Wednesday. It has been in the past. Um, I guess that's subject to change. But yeah, they, people come once a week, and we keep that. Like Carrie was saying, that we have a little cedar hut in back. And it's built and shelved and stocked like a grocery store, kind of. Yeah, I mean, throughout. Small, yeah, and then people come throughout throughout the you know two to nine o'clock window and fill up their bags with whatever they want that week, and that's about it. And throughout that time, we harvest more too. I mean, we harvest most of it the day of, but then as if things run out or if there's more needed, we just go out and grab it and put it in. So it's like. Very fresh. We do. We also we harvest throughout the entire week too. I mean, it's every every day is harvest during the season, and we we have a relationship with the cafe on the corner of our street that allows us to use the walk-in cooler so that we can keep keep things fresh, which is super helpful and and incredible. You know, it's really helpful for for things like if we were to um, harvest carrots three days early. They're still amazing in three days, um, but then we get that out of the way, can clean them, like package them, and then bring them to the cafe. Yeah, um, and it's an incredible relationship, and it's it's a really great cafe. It's called the Standish Cafe. It's a oh. really, really great place. Um, in fact, they might be buying some of our produce this year. We'll yes. see. Yep. Um, what else? What was the question? I know. <laughs> so, and I know you also want to talk about some social media or something you do with uh, Instagram. Oh yeah, we we do like a weekly 
Instagram story uh, and reel. That's it's just sort of what's happening at the farm, what we've been doing. There's like tips, like gardening tips, how we plant certain things. That you know, I, I hate, always hate to say that this is the right way or the wrong way to do something. You know, I, I so disapprove of those gardening YouTube like. Five things not to plant in the shade or whatever. Um, cause but we just have like just trial goes. and error and the things that we learn, we make into a weekly story. Right. So like if one week we learn we have jumping worms, which we do. Oh, uh, let's talk about that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a, that's Everyone a gets one. heartbroken. Um, then we teach people about jumping worms and show them the things that we're trying. We did a big comment. We did a comic about it essentially we made like a little comic strip about talking to this woman at the U of M who's a jumping worm expert and the sort of the answers and things that we got from her um but yeah that was that the jumping worm thing we and it was crazy when we discovered we had them people were giving us condolences like it was seriously like someone had died in our family mm-hmm. it's like oh my god you have jumping <laughs> and plus people i think were terrified because that means that the potential of them spreading but what we've learned about jumping worms and sort of the trial and error and how to deal with them is it's not, nothing sort of researched and it's all sort of beginning. Like it's the, the front of how to sort of combat these invasive creatures. But we so, found that tilling – and we heard – this woman at the U of M told us this farmer in Maine had you know, swore by tilling in early May. And that's when the worms are juveniles. They haven't reproduced yet. And you essentially murder them. You slice them up. And thus far, it has been the only solution that has worked for us. And it has worked really well. Um, It doesn't destroy them entirely, but it definitely negates their population. Now, most of our audience might have heard of jumping worms, but what are they if someone has not heard of that? It's It's a type of worm that is not native to. Our area they or look, the United States. And uh, it's funny. They look just like regular worms. Looks, they look like regular worms and you kind of like get excited because you're like, whoa, look at how many worms we have. But the, they take up the two, first two to four inches of soil and that's where they live. And they eat all of that and poop and all of that. And worm poop is supposed to be good but not in that kind of – they turn it into like coffee grounds. So the whole top of the soil becomes coffee grounds. So then if you were to plant something that didn't have a deep root system – it won't. Transplants it won't, it, fail yeah. in, in, in that soil. And it also leads to erosion and, and washout of nutrients. Like everything just kind of becomes this loose, gravelly texture and it just kind of – you can see it just decimates the soil. We haven't had huge problems with growing, um, but I could see how there could be huge problems in like forests because it's – you can't just go in and till yeah. you know, and kill them. Um, and I think the issue there too is that more invasive than plant species move into that sort of – decimated soil and take over um it is way more of a problem for forestry than 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 farming i think um or gardening but it is something that we and other gardeners and farmers are going to have to deal with uh at least we've had to because it but it's the solutions are there and and what was cool about it was that we got to like experiment with how to how to solve these these issues, and that, that's been fun. And so, if you're having a box garden, um, the jumping worms aren't a problem, are they? Or are they? Yeah, they can like be a, in a raised bed. Yeah, yeah, raised they, bed. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah that we have them in the raised beds. And, and the, the way they differ, I guess we didn't ever tell what they are exactly. They, so they look just like earthworms, 
they're oilier visibly and they move like snakes and they will jump like they've we've watched one jump itself in half out of Carrie's hand like they, they are, break in half they if, jump if you like try to keep them because they're jumping so fast and if you just pick it up and they it'll thrash crack and yeah it's crazy mm. it's uh they're inter- it's it, it's been an interesting interesting so tell us what you do in your box garden to sort of reduce the damage we've been tilling the garden so we till we try not to we try to till very little um we do a lot of low till or no till and um only when the soil gets compacted we'll break it up with a broad fork or a tiller if it's really bad but we use a you know a power tiller in the early spring when they're at a certain stage of their development when they're juvenile and it sort of shreds up the worms um, so this seems like a simple question, reproduce. but how do you do that in a raised bed then? Um, well, you have four. We have most most of our beds like have four by eight, four like in that okay. range pockets at least. Okay. So they could be longer, but they'll have sections. So it's enough to get a small tiller in there. It's wild. It's like a rodeo in the bed. <laughs> oh, well, that's um, uh, so. Um, I went. I was, uh, so I did want to get into a couple. I'm kind of like stuck on these. So what other problems are there? I mean, what other? I mean, that. I mean, when you first got it, I, I like when you said people were like, "Oh, like someone had died." Right. And yet, I mean, it's you just you, you have to. There's a horrible expression. It is what it is. But you take whatever challenges you have, and find our resilience, which is what we need in this time, right? Yeah, and new new problems present themselves almost every year. It's kind of, and you have to sort of. Yeah, we have we Find a lead midge, which is um, also invasive, and a very little teeny teeny bug. So you, it's really hard to find, but it takes like kales and um, brassicas and just curls them into themselves. They so that they lay eggs. They're a little fly, and they lay. I, we so we go through all this the new pest, but that it's a little fly that lays an egg on brassica, and then it that larva feeds then on the joint, the growth joint of the kale or the brassica. So it forms all disfigured and sort of it's not all like like it, yeah it's like it doesn't become and it eventually like makes the whole plant kind of mushy um so yeah we've had those and the only way they know how to deal with them is a three-year crop rotation so you remove brassicas from that area for three years uh we are hoping this year maybe that since we didn't get a lot of snow that the the, the hard freeze that we did have will actually kill some of those those bugs that are living in the top layers of soil. I don't think last year we had so much snow it didn't really freeze the ground as much as it, it could have. Uh, we're hoping that's going to help this year. The Swede midge is a real bummer because it takes out – we have it in a lot of different areas um, and there's no way to sort of battle it with – Well, and then we talk about weather. So the droughts, sure. how was that affecting? Yeah, three years of drought. Um, it's been – uh, so, I mean, since we're such a different farm, the thing it affects us is that we have to water a lot. So instead of being a big farm that, do, like, gets water from the sky, like, we can water. So, like, the drought sucks because every day, every other day, we have to water. It means, yeah, it means we're using It's like a lot more labor, water. more water. Um, it's crazy. You and then some plants, it. some plants just are like, I can't do this. Um, but we haven't had like huge crop fails because of it, and I think it's because we have irrigation systems in each of the yards. Um, but they struggle. I, it, you can see like where we water versus where we don't, and it, it almost it's like the areas that don't try pulling mm-hmm. water out of the beds, or you know, it's 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 amazing nature. Like it's 
Okay, so there's all these struggles. There's these bugs that are going to come eat your stuff. There's this <laughs> water. Not You're working your butts off. You're not <laughs> making as much money as you would if you, you know, probably worked at, you know, worked other places in hourlies. Is it worth it? <laughs> Good question. Um, so yes. we go through this day, uh, daily, yearly. Um, there's like the yearly, should we do this again? Um, daily, why are we doing this? Um, it can be super stressful too. Like, it's very stressful. It feels like we believe in it and that's what keeps us going. And we believe that it can be more than what it is. So like we're seeing into the future. So like currently, I mean the last – I would say seven years have been challenging, um, but but we know we believe the future will be different, um, and that we can hopefully make some kind of it model or something where other urban farmers can see how they can do it too, because um, it it is important. Um, yeah, and, it's, and it, I mean, like as as a community in general, like our neighborhood is so different now, like. We we know everyone. Um, That's been one of the surprise impacts. People that come, had, yeah. Think. People come to our block and area to like hang out and see things and learn things and randomly ask for food and like it's great. It's like we're outside every day and we can see. What, you know, we know too much about our neighbors. Um, I mean, we we before we started this, we you know we lived in the same world everybody else does, where they don't really know your neighbors, you don't talk to them, you don't really care about them. But since doing this, it's sort of become like it's real boots on the ground kind of community work. Like you're out there talking to people, you're out there helping people. We have um, keys to everyone's house. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that on live. It's okay. But they they trust us, and like if we're out working and we see something like oh their cat needs to go in or like something <laughs> needs to happen, like for real, we just open the door and let them in. You know, like. It's like um, – And it's gotten everybody else more involved with each other too, which is sort of – it feels like a community now. Like people know each other. Neighbors talk like and hang out and, you know, it, it feels like a community. <laughs> Whereas I think before maybe it didn't so much. Um, and that's been one of the – that's been one of the things that I think we're most proud of is sort of that that we can have that effect and that that, that is happening. And that's not necessarily financially – viable right like it's sort of yeah not gonna make us any money but it's certainly a way to live you know a better way to live which is priceless i think to a certain degree but healthy food and healthy happy people like it's like yeah that makes the world better yeah. so if we can share it with more than just the people we can you know in the future we would be able to help more people and it's not you know it's just an alternative. It's sort of another way. It's another way to produce food that is possible. It's not going to take place of you know mass agriculture. It's like can't. It's not possible. But it can be an additional you know positive positive way of selling food yes. or producing food. Yeah, and uh, we're talking to urban farmers Carrie Thompson and Jay Thompson, um, uh, our farmers and artists um, here in Minneapolis. Uh, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Headland. We'll be right back. Mother Mary comes to me. 
Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund. I, I want to just read a little poem here from Scott uh, Mamamade, um, who passed on January 24th, 20, uh, January 24th, 2024. When we dance, the earth trembles. When our steps fall on the earth, we feel the shudder of life beneath us, and the earth fills the beating of our hearts, and we become one with the earth. We shall not sever ourselves from the earth. We must chant our being, and we must dance in time with the rhythms of the earth. We must keep the earth. This idea of keeping the earth, and there, there's a comment, um, and, and the Star Tribune uh, commented, there's someone who says, the earth is inanimate. It can't be angry or happy. <laughs> so we almost have this food system that has grown out of this idea that it is an inanimate earth. And part of it is how do we move into that community where we're dancing with the earth, we're growing with the earth, and we're growing that food together, and we're doing it in a way that we can still feed our families and pay our mortgages and make, you know, make, make our livings. And um, so do, do you agree with that, that, that when you're gardening, you're, you're actually, um, you're not extracting from the earth, but you're sort of participating in something? Yeah, for sure. I think 100% you are part of the earth when you are when you're out there getting your hands dirty. And I mean and then the more you're with the soil, you understand like what it needs or what it what what like what it has and what it doesn't have and you know what you put into it. So whatever you put into it, you know what it's taking up. Um certain plants give nitrogen, certain plants take nitrogen. Um you know if you have a certain amount of plants in an area like these you need to give back into that area um and i think over time since i mean we we've, we've been doing it for 8 years for real but not like always selling but over time you learn the areas and what like what what soil wants what and what you also we- learn to to sort of let go of control a little bit like we want to control things and we want to but you It'll, the land will tell you what it needs and what it wants if you sort of sit back and and, mm-hmm. and kind of take a look at it and listen to it a little. I don't. It sounds kind of corny, but it it's amazing. I mean, it's I guess through doing all this, like you really start, you really do realize that like we, it's a living creature. Like it's it's an it's a living being, and it. I mean, you look at it from outer space, and the world breathes. Like it's incredible. Um, and the things that we see just on the daily basis in boring garden beds in South Minneapolis, like, is enough to... I mean, it should be mind-blowing, some of that. No, like, the teeny, teeny little seed turns into, like, so much food for so many people. Or, I mean, super dorks, but, like, what? How does that work? <laughs> it's totally magical, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's, well, it's, it's seen weeds mimic plants that are, mm-hmm. like, that is Oh, isn't that funny? Yeah, Which is sort yes, of like, yeah. what is happening? Like, wait a minute. Is that the, pr- is that the crop or is that the weed? Oh, and it will look too. like it. Yes, yes. Cause... Unbelievable. Like, we saw it with Malbar spinach, of all things. We saw, we couldn't differentiate the two sprouts. One was a weed and one was the spinach and... Couldn't figure out what, which was which, and they're identical. We just and had to wait. It had to. It was. It had to be that it was mimicking that plant. It's, it's so insane. Um, and of course, that you know, I don't know if that's. I mean, bringing it back to art too. Like, so I make pottery, and that's earth too. Like the clay itself is like mud, and like a lot of potters who are much more skilled than me, they make whatever they want. But I always feel like it won't be a certain thing. Like, I'm like, I can't make this into a bowl. Like, it wants to be a cup. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to do that. Um, 
which is, is like, yeah. I don't know, some side comment, but there's something to it. I mean, there really is. It sound. I mean, at the risk of sounding sort of flighty or 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 like hippieish or whatever, like, but it, it, there really is something to the fact that that the earth and the land and the soil and it's all connected and it's all sort of one living being and we're part of it to some degree, if not entirely. I feel like you can taste it in the vegetables too. Like the vegetables are taste so much different. Like you, if you get like a carrot pulled straight from the ground and then like, you know, one from like Amazon Fresh, <laughs> <laughs> which we get both. I'm going to be honest. Mm-hmm. And so like they're just like this one ta- – that you know, one tastes like water and one tastes like f- like a flavor, like food. Like it's like, like – a carrot. <laughs> like a carrot. But yeah, like it's just a totally different thing. Like it, it – they are so different even if they're the same crop, like the same species. Like they're just different. It's so fascinating. I, I love this conversation. We have two minutes left. I want to make sure you um, have a chance to say your website and if people are driving around Minneapolis and they want to just see your artist-led gardens, um, where they're at, and you have uh, – you don't need homeowners now to offer their lands because you've got a waiting list for, for those yards. We do, uh, but I, yeah. mean, I mean – I mean if you're a real neighbor like right next door. Maybe we'll get a grant and we can expand. Yeah, yeah we'll see. Who knows? You know? I mean we're always interested in knowing that people want to do it. Um, it can't, it's just something we can't do this season. So if somebody's interested in it and wants to. And we tell people that when we, we could, we'll go even go look at yards and, and see if it's something that we can use, you know, if it, if it'll work for growing, you know, some yards are too shady. Some yards have too many trees. Um, but we'll take a look at it and we tell people like it might take us four years or three years or a year or who knows, like to get to this. And people are like, okay, just let us know. Well, our, your our website, website yeah, our website is theblackradishmpls.com. So theblackradishmpls for Minneapolis.com. And then Instagram is blackradish underscore, which was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you go to theblackradishmpls.com, you can find our Instagram, our Patreon, yeah. um, our membership, um, Information about us, email, everything you need will be at the website. So go there to find the other things. And if you want to buy a CSA membership for somebody in South Minneapolis, let us know. Let's know. So uh, the Black Radish and artist-led gardening, um, using uh, neighbor's land to grow food. Um, what a fun concept. And let's spread it, right? You know, yeah, um, please. Actually, under Wikipedia, if you look up gardener, it actually shows that that is the true world's oldest occupation is to be a gardener. And so having this, using these lands, because, you know, like Kentucky green grass is actually the most invasive species right now in the uh, United States. So thank you for listening. Have an awesome week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.